Hello and welcome to Move the Line, presented by 444.com. I'm Ryan Noonan. Joining me as always, fellow 444.com Director of Bettings, Connor Allen. What's going on, man? Not much. Uh, we have planned our trip out to Vegas for week one of the NFL season. Uh, just locked that in, uh, and I'm stoked. Um, probably going to be some golfing, at least on your end. Um, you know, maybe maybe some uh, stadium swim action. Who knows? Well, we'll see what's going on, and I'm, I'm pretty excited. A little skinny dip action, maybe. You know, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> not. Not with you. Not with you. What? That's a <laughs> like you're up for it in general at stadium swim, but because I'm involved, you're out. Uh, I mean, yeah, just just Twitter search stadium swim, and then look at the other options of who I could be skinny dipping with, and then then you'll you'll understand. <laughs> That's fair. There's also a potential of us playing on what is, uh, at least a couple of years ago, or 2019, was the most expensive public round of golf that you can play. Uh, and I I don't know. I don't know how, how we're going to – we golfed uh, a couple of weeks ago together, and it was – I love you. It was a lot of fun, uh, <laughs> but it was brutal. And I don't know that I can take you out there with a caddy for a round of golf that – uh, nah. Typically goes for five hundred and fifty dollars a round. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. not. I'm not coming. That that would be wasted on me. I'll just sit down at a table or you know the sports book and just you know be a little happier. I'll have to figure it out because it's a it's a sight to see anyway. But uh, yeah, excited to continue our divisional preview series. Uh, joining us this week to unpack the NFC West is one of our new additions to the betting squad here at Four for Four. It is Ian Wharton. You can find him on Twitter at NFL Film Study. Ian, what's going on? Welcome to the show and the team. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm super excited. Um, yeah, just really excited. Obviously, we have the season right around the corner and, you know, just ready to dig in. Like, the offseason seems to go so fast, but it's not fast enough. Like, we're starting to see football clips on the timeline, and it's just like, all right, finally, we made it. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're actually going to get some real football here soon. All the clips in the timeline, uh, and we're thirsty for it uh, as a community. But uh, uh, Connor, I know you you're you want to temper any expectations out there or any any Twitter timelines. Or well, any- no. So you were hating on my, uh, you know, you're hating on the Dolphins, you know, probably trading uh, Xavier Howard. But then, you know, my I wasn't bias- hating it. I was, you know, there. He has a lot to do with the success of what seemed to be a little bit of perhaps of not fluky because it's a good defense. But there's a lot that went their way last year, and he's really pivotal. And they're your Super Bowl team early. Yeah, so. I mean, I was going to give you more of a conjecture response here of, you know, <laughs> the two uh, – like, I don't know if you saw the tweets about him uncorking a pass 60 yards downfield to Albert Wilson. I mean, just confirming all of my priors about the Dolphins' offense taking a step forward, I'm all in. I mean, I'm, I was like, you know, that made me just even more all in. Um, and so <laughs> – <laughs> I, that was, I almost tagged you in that and was like, you know what? I don't even need Xavier Howard when two is just tossing for 350 and three touchdowns a game. Um, I'm with he, you on the, on the two of bets. <laughs> like, I'm with you. We got two overs. I'm good with two taking a step forward. His numbers yeah. are too low. But, uh, you know, I'm just, I think we're, we got to just temper expectations a little bit. I think they'll be in the mix. But, uh, you know, Super Bowl and AFC champs, I think, was was strong. So I'll be looking for any negative dolphins fodder out there to kick back at you. But uh, that's funny. Yeah. I don't want to be the, you know, no fun police. Cause it's exciting to Ian's point. Like we've been thirsty for football and, and uh, I'm sure the three of us have been digging into this for months. And now we finally have some live football action and any cool thing that happens in the practice, whether it's 
individual drills, unguarded, seven on seven. People want to basically turn back out and have it match their priors. Whatever. I'll good for everyone. I don't want to let everyone celebrate and enjoy football. I'm ready for football too. Ready for some real stuff. So um excited to to talk about the NFC West. This is actually probably the well, it's the best division we've talked about so far. And you can make a case that in general it's the best division or one of the best divisions in football. Um, all the teams are forecasted for uh, eight and a half wins or higher, um, three at 10 or above, which is really strong. Uh, their non-division schedule this year is the AFC South and the NFC North, which is, you know, some decent breaks, some nice uh, nice teams in there for them to take advantage of. Uh, I want to let you know, too, before you get started, we have a couple amazing deals to get you our betting sub over at 4 for 4. It's our top shelf sub. It gets you literally everything on the site. So you're getting redraft, you're getting best ball, you'll get DFS in season, and you'll get all of the betting content. Uh, it is a really good deal. If you look out there in the marketplace at some of the places that you would consider competition for us, it's it's laughable what our price is. And we've had a couple of different ways where you can make it even cheaper. Uh, first at Underdog, if you are somehow not playing on Underdog Fantasy for best ball yet, you definitely want to do so. You can take advantage for new users. You can get a free pro sub for four for four uh, for just ten dollars. Um, you're also going to get twenty five dollar kickback from Underdog. And then all you got to do is reach out to us. We can help you upgrade to the betting sub uh, for just a little bit more. And you're going to get again everything on the site. Or jumping in over at Prize Picks, uh, it could be for new. You have to be a new Prize Pick user. It could be for a long time four for four subs, or if you're just a new sub, you can get in for a deposit at, at Prize Picks for thirty five dollars. Is going to get you our betting sub for the entire year, which is just a wild, wild deal. Uh, again, checking your state, see if Prize Picks is available. It's a lot of fun to get in over there. We'll talk more about that as the season goes along. We'll have articles about that as well. Uh, those are some easy ways for you to again get in for even cheaper than it already is. So, all right, let's unpack the NFC West. The division odds at the top from our friends over at WinBets, the 49ers and Rams at plus 180 to win the division. Uh, Seahawks, a little behind them at plus 260, and the Cardinals at 5-1. to one. Interesting that the Niners and Rams have win projections at 10.5, or you know, at least they're over-under for wins. And then the Seahawks are just a little bit behind them at 10, but there's a massive discrepancy in their odds for the division I thought was pretty interesting. What do you think about that, Connor? Yeah, I mean, I, this is, this is like you said, probably the toughest division uh, in the league. And with three really strong teams and a Cardinals team, which is going to be above average probably, uh, I mean, there's just, this is really, really tough to decipher. So I think that, that actually the to make the playoffs bet is probably the way to go. Um, rather than a win the division, because I feel like, you know, truly any of these teams could win it. And there's three really strong contenders. Yeah, it's interesting. So we'll start with the 49ers. They are the favorites, I guess you could say, um, even with the Rams. They are uh, minus 190 to make the playoffs. You can uh, fade them at plus 145. Uh, again, 10 and a half wins is the number there. They are plus 550 to win the NFC, 13 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. Uh, according to Sharp Football, looking at projected win total, strength of schedule, they actually are set up to have the easiest strength of schedule in the league this year. 
Uh, pretty difficult team to analyze, Ian, before we kick it to you. Uh, looking back as far as 2020 goes, basically everyone on both sides of the ball was hurt. Uh, no position group was safe. Basically, literally everyone got hurt at some point. Uh, according to Football Outsiders, they had 161 and a half adjusted games lost. Um, that doesn't even include any COVID-related games. It's the second most all-time in their database, which I think goes back to like 1983 or something like that. Like It's a lot of games. They also faced one of the league's most difficult schedules, which is different than what they have this year. Uh, we're on the wrong side of one-score games. So I think just kind of natural regression of the mean in some of those areas should get them uh, in a pretty favorable spot. Obviously, the big question mark is quarterback. So talk to me about the Niners. Yeah, I mean, I think you summed up their season well last year. Like, you look at last year's numbers, and it's just like, who produced what? Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I have to double-check that these guys actually played that many games for them. Uh, I, I like the roster at face value. I love the coaching staff at face value, but there's a lot of unknowns on this roster. So we have to look at what we do know. What we do know is when they're healthy, they're really good. Like, their starting lineup is good enough to reach the Super Bowl. Like, Nothing of what you said is a surprise as far as their upside, but I think they have the same downside as they had last year because we're relying on so many injured players uh, or players coming back from injuries from last year. So for me, they represent one of the biggest risks in the league, either direction. They could pay off handsomely if we have faith that guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, who had an injury last year, but he's had injuries in years prior to that as well. He doesn't really have a play style that, avoids big hits and injuries doesn't have great pocket presence so some of these guys weaknesses don't necessarily help their cause for for projecting them forward um i could see them ending up as 2020 again where a lot of their guys have injuries or maybe not a lot but the key guys have injuries because they have less depth on the defense too so there's more reliance on these star players as opposed to two years ago when they made their super bowl run uh, and i think that that's dangerous right so like nick bosa coming off a torn acl we know Fred Warner, fresh off an extension, he's going to be a defensive star. Um, but they don't have DeForest Buckner for the second year in a row. So what are we going to see at defensive tackle? Can they compensate a little bit better than what they did last year without DeForest Buckner? Same in the secondary. Jason Barrett's coming back, came off a great season last year. But his whole career has been filled with injuries. And so we can hope that he stays healthy. But how confident are we in that? Same thing with Jimmy Ward. Same If he's playing 12 games in the year, that's a solid season for him as far as availability. They just don't have the proven guys as depth throughout this roster as they used to. And for me, that's a huge red flag, especially because you guys mentioned this division is so deep. It's so good that when one or two guys go down, especially in that secondary or at the receiver position, where I love Brandon Ayuk and I love Debo Samuel, but I don't necessarily love the guys behind them on the depth chart. I mean, they've got 45-year-old Mohamed Sanu you know, competing for slot reps. And I just don't know. I love Kyle Shanahan, but I have to wonder a little bit, did they go into this past off season and overlook some of these needs where they could have added some more uh, impact ready players with the limited resources that they have. So I'm looking at them as a huge boomer bust with sky high potential, but I have question marks at quarterback and along that secondary. And to me, I would fade them a little bit because of that, uh, those concerns. Yeah, all really good points. I mean, there's if you look at the history, last year was kind of a, as I mentioned, a little bit of a historical outlier. But there has been a lot of injury, uh, just trail in San Francisco dating back to you know, a little bit before even this kind of, uh, you know, front office regime. It's just kind of been a thing there, which is just kind of wild. It's almost like the old school 
if you're a basketball fan, uh, Phoenix Suns back in the day, you know, a handful of years ago, were always hurt. Like there was always, they couldn't keep their guys healthy. There was something going on medically. I don't know if it was, you know, their stretching routine or whatever was going on. Like they just couldn't keep guys on the field. So, you know, Jimmy has not been exciting, but he's put them in spots to win when he's been healthy. And that's a, a big piece here, Connor. Um, what are your thoughts on the Niners? Yeah, I think you, you guys summed up most of it here. My biggest question just has to revolve around uh, quarterback play. So, you know, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo was good enough to help get them to Super Bowl, but I wouldn't say that he got them there. You know, he, like, managed the game well enough uh, to get them there. But uh, now you have Trey Lance, who is expected to play probably, I would say, a couple of weeks into the season, uh, halfway through. I think it really depends on how Jimmy Garoppolo is doing. Right now, I mean, they came out and said uh, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the clear-cut number one. They're not even giving Trey Lance reps. Uh, whereas some of the other teams, like the Bears, who have previously said that you know uh, uh, Andy Dalton was going to be their starter, now is saying like, "Oh, Justin Fields is playing really well. Like, look at Justin Fields, you know." And like, it's not really the same rhetoric going on right now in San Francisco. It seems like Lance is like almost surely going to be on the bench for at least for a little bit. And I think that he's a lot of upside, but I mean, he's a pretty raw prospect. Just 318 pass attempts uh, at North Dakota State. Um, so. I mean, I also do think that we see a really run-heavy offense uh, supported by, like you said, the easiest strength of schedule in the league. They're probably going to be favoring a lot of games, probably going to be winning a lot of games. And we've seen it in the past where Shanahan is able to just kind of rely on that running game. And now they added to the running back room with, I would say, uh, a pretty underrated room with uh, Trey Sermon and Raheem Mostert, um, in addition to some of the other guys. Like I, I think that they could realistically run the ball a lot more than they were before. And that kind of leads me to some player props here. Um, I'm fading a lot of the pass catchers um, in terms of raw passing totals, just because I think that they're going to be running the ball a lot. They're going to be winning a ball, winning a lot. So they're going to kind of be in that grinded out phase. Um, as you guys said, as long as the defense stays healthy, you know, if the defense is not healthy. If it's not good, all bets are off. Um, but the, the one that I like most uh, Debo Samuel over under 850 yards, we have projected for 722. Um, I think that Lance is once he starts is going to kind of dig into the passing totals in terms of um, you know he's going to be rolling out he's going to be rushing a little bit more on his own he is a great rusher um, and with Brandon Ayuk being healthy and with George Kittle being healthy um, I think that those are two legitimate targets to take away targets from Samuel also Samuel is you know one of the lowest A dots in the league um, whereas Ayuk seemed like to be able to create a little bit more on his own and run a little bit more smoother routes whereas Kittle's obviously just one of the best tight ends in the league. So for me, Samuel, uh, under there, not something I have a heavy position on, but I do like the under there um, a decent amount. Yeah, we're pretty comfortable on the under for both Ayuk and Samuel, which is interesting. And you make a good point. I mean, they are year after year. I think this is the third, last year was the third year in a row that as a team they led in Yak. And it's just definitely part of the scheme. And I think part of what they develop, like that was a big part of Ayuk's game in college. They used them a little bit more vertically down the field last year, but he's definitely a guy that can, do those things in a similar way too. Uh, so those are pretty comfortable unders for us. And again, we all things being equal, especially in season long bets, I'm going to lean under anyway. There's so many outs uh, in these bets. So anytime we get a pretty substantial lean as far as our numbers there, it's definitely a good bet. Um, what about the running back room? I mean, Trey Sermon added in the draft. I mean, they traded up to get him. We know Raheem Mostert is solid when he's on the field again he's kind of this is the narrative around this entire team is just contextualizing when they're on the field and when they play well but we also know that there's nothing in Shanahan or his dad's past around basically one back for the season I mean they do typically within a game often give the guy the majority of the work but most tends to be an air ball in the passing game they also have Wayne Gallman Jeff Wilson is, is dinged up now but he'll probably be 
mixed in there. We've last couple of years, we've seen four or five guys every year in the Niners have weeks where they pop. Is there a guy in fantasy or in best ball, Ian, that's kind of caught your eye? Um, are, and we kind of, they're kind of equal in ADP currently right now. Yeah, Sermon. I mean, I'm along with a lot of the fantasy community where I think Sermon is the guy to buy. Uh, just seeing his uh, career progress at Oklahoma, where I thought he was just a guy. Like, he was a good athlete at Oklahoma, but a lot of the time those lanes were just huge. And I was like, all right, cool. He's taking exactly what's available to him. He's not creating a whole lot. He's got some power as the physicality. And then he goes to Ohio State, and you start to see it a little bit more. He puts it together a little bit more. Maybe it's better coaching or it's just different coaching, a little bit of a different scheme. He rips off that huge run to end off his career um, in Ohio State's you know, limited schedule. And we all had to pay attention to that because what he was doing at that level, he looked again, like a man against boys. And all of a sudden it was, well, he's a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick that you're taking as a flyer just to kind of round out the room. So all of a sudden he looks like Kareem Hunt, in my opinion, like his movement style. It's, it's a little bit extra, right? Like it makes him look a little bit better. makes him look a little bit sexier as he's running than what he really is. Um, but it's effective and he's powerful and he has better vision than what I think uh, I certainly thought of him entering 2020. And now going to this offense, I would love to see an athletic freak be in Kyle Shanahan's system. It's been a little bit while since we've seen this type of pedigree in that backfield. And I think that, we, like you said, we're going to see a one-two punch, but I don't have a lot of faith that Mostert's going to be the guy all year. And so I think Sermon could be the guy that really takes this position uh, as the season progresses, and especially if Lance starts to play. I want more of Sermon because I think Sermon's going to get more catches at that point. And I think you could see some option action, some really good RPO action, uh, play action. I think that that all plays a Sermon's strengths based off what he just did at Ohio State. An easier transition for him. Very similar concepts to what they just did with uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State. And so for me, Sermon has that upside that most certain isn't necessarily going to have. Uh, so if, if, if the price is equal or even similar, I want Sermon on my team all day. No, it makes sense. No running back props currently. Be interested to see when that shakes out when they start to to pop. But um, yeah, I mean, it goes back to Lance. I feel like we're it's inevitable at this point. Um, you know, you know they're saying the right things now. They were pretty adamant before the draft that they were going in to draft their starting quarterback. Um, so be interested to see what happens down the stretch here, especially with this fairly easy schedule at times. Um, they have a it starts to get a little bit easy mid schedule it's a little bit tough to start like their toughest part uh, i'm sorry no their toughest part is, is easy it gets a little harder late actually which is which is interesting to see what happens so yeah i wonder how long the leash is for for jimmy g um two road games to start detroit and philadelphia uh, and then they come back home for for green bay so um yeah we'll jump on next to the rams rams also 10 and a half wins a um, little tougher schedule they are same numbers minus 190 to make the playoffs plus 145 to not also plus 550 to win the NFC, and they are a little bit ahead in Super Bowl odds at 12 to 1. Uh, that has got a lot of steam over the last few months since it originally popped. Uh, but, I mean, it was pretty evident if you, <laughs> without asking him, you know, Sean McVay has basically said Jared Goff is the problem. And, uh, you know, he is really excited uh, that Matthew Stafford is in town. And I get the expectations. It is a little bit of a different vibe. He is a little bit of a different quarterback. There's really nothing. I don't think that you could say that Stafford um, or that Goff does better than Stafford, um, even though you know Goff did take them to a Super Bowl. It's definitely have that game manager vibe through the lens of McVay. Um, they also have a change defensively. Brandon Staley, as we talked about a couple weeks ago or last week, really he's 
uh, changing locker rooms. He'll be coaching the Chargers. He was really instrumental in, in driving defensive success last year. Pretty easy to do with Aaron Donald and, uh, you know, Jalen Ramsey on the outside. Some other guys that were instrumental are gone. Ty Hill, John Johnson are in Cleveland, Michael Brockers in Detroit. So they are having a little bit of change along with the defensive coordinator. Raheem Morris is going to be calling plays there on the defensive side. He did well, really, in his interim role with the Falcons last year. Like, that defense was a train wreck. And then they really kind of caught some steam at the end when he became the interim coach. So um, did, did they come in and do the same thing? Obviously, with those those same horses, it's, it's kind of easy to do, Connor. Uh, talk to me about what you think about the Rams here. You got to unmute yourself to do it. That would be that would be good. Um, so yeah, I, I think I it's the it, first one, the first one of the season. So is it? Is that the first one? All I right. think it is. That's not bad. I, I hit the mute button too much, you know, because these things got me going over here. Just uh, you know, not not trying to burp into the mic too much. Um, yeah. So I I think that I mean they're they're a strong team defensively, number one in defensive EPA last season. Obviously, I think the addition of Matthew Stafford just really can't be understated because I am. I think that, like you said, that Sean McVay was holding Jared Goff's hands. I mean, he was, for God's sake, he was feeding him plays, like, or like defenses, like, you know, what the defense was doing, like in the mic, you know, until, you know, people started catching on a little bit and like started figuring it out. But it's just, for me, like, I think that he's going to be a massive addition, really open up that offense. Um, the Cam Akers injury stinks for, you know, early fantasy drafters. Don't think it really matters too much for the team in general, but it does make me a little bit more excited about uh, a player prop here. Matthew Stafford over under four, uh, 4,500 passing yards. That actually opened, I think, at 4,200 at some books. Um, Noonan wrote that up as one of his favorite plays for the over. I know uh, we have projected for 5,326 yards. I mean, that that sounds rich and uh, maybe is a little rich, but 5,000 yards in a 17-game season where he's healthy, playing with McVay, playing with, you know, Woods and Cup and, uh, you know, like just gr- – uh, pretty good weapons and good system. I think that now without a, like a, a running game that they're going to rely on too much. I and mean, they've already talked about Daryl Henderson, how, you know, the biggest thing for him is can he stay available? Um, and for me, that kind of says that like, they're probably not going to give him like 25 carries or 25 touches a game. Um, and so I think that for this offense, it's not going to be a run heavy offense. A lot of times when we saw that last year, I think it was more to do with golf's limitations rather than uh, what McVay actually wanted to do and the game situation and how good their defense was. You know, they could afford to run the ball a little bit more with Cam Akers and, uh, rather than kind of airing it out. So for me, I like this passing offense a lot. I think that both Stafford, Woods, uh, to go over his prop of 1,000 yards, and then some cup props as well for yardage. Um, I, I just really – I'm really bullish on this offense. And well, the defense is probably going to take a step back. I know year-to-year defensive uh, metrics generally uh, do not hold that well. But still, I think that this offense is something definitely um, – that can take a step forward here. Yeah. I think they can regress and still be pretty solid, but you said, yeah, not super sticky, but again, they have, they have difference makers. They have true difference makers, regardless of scheme. If they're wise, they probably do something pretty similar to what they did last year. Yeah. But you can't overstate the Stafford stuff. I mean, even last year with Kenny Galladay playing like, I don't know, three, four games, they had a pretty pedestrian receiver crew. Stafford had a, 9.4 a dot versus uh, 6.7 for golf, which is, I think was like 38th out of 41. Um, despite that, he also like had a higher turnover uh, worthy throw rate than Stafford is. So like he was managing it, but he was also throwing more, uh, you know, turnover worthy plays less than half of like the big time throw rate. Again, another PFF 
a metric that I think is pretty useful to see how aggressive a guy is taking shots downfield. So there really isn't anything that should work in, against him here. If he stays upright, um, I think I also I had to forget what the number is. I also took the over on his touchdown prop. I think it was like 30 and a half, which is also insanely low if he's playing 16, 17 games as well. So they're starting to get bumped up a little bit, but we're still about 800 yards higher in our projections in Stafford. So I think there's still a little bit of meat on the bone. Uh, Ian, talk to me about the Rams. Yeah, I mean, a lot of great points there. Uh, what I'd want to add to it is I'm interested in seeing from Stafford's standpoint, how does he manage the offensive line? Um, you guys mentioned Goff, and Goff has so many limitations, really crumbled last year on his own, had the chance to step up and prove that he's the guy that, you know, this franchise thought he was going to be, and I did too as a prospect, and he just completely crumbled, as you guys mentioned. I mean, all the stats point to it. Visually, he would snap the ball, had no idea where pressure was coming from, end up on the ground, you know, essentially just taking a sack. I'm interested to see, you know, the interior of this line is still a weak point. They don't, they never really invested into it. David Edwards at guard, Austin Corbett at guard, Brian Allen at center. You know, these guys are kind of rotational type journeymen. None of them have really performed extremely well throughout their career. Uh, Andrew Whitworth continuing to age in, in his uh, time with the Rams. Rob Havenstein has to have a, back, uh, a really nice uh, season. He, he's kind of had to break out a little bit. I think he struggled on his own last year on an island. So for me, I'm looking at this offensive line saying, can, can Stafford get the most out of them? mainly from an intelligence standpoint. And I think that's where the difference between uh, Stafford and Goff needs to show the most. It's not necessarily the physical traits, which we know Stafford obviously has an incredible arm, probably more accurate than Goff play to play. Um, statistically, I know Stafford isn't tremendously accurate, even in a clean pocket, but he can hit some throws that Goff just wasn't able to because of his arm strength and velocity. But I want to see Stafford own the game pre-snap. You guys mentioned it. Sean McVay is handing Jared Goff the plays throughout his headset. That's why he waits so long uh, to snap the ball and to break the huddle. It, just so he can sit there and tell, or he would get out there quickly so he could tell Goff exactly what's going to happen. That has to stop. And for this team to win a Super Bowl, that can't happen again. And they still almost won it with that happening. So I, I want to see Stafford do that. I want to see how he operates with a much better running game. Um, I know you mentioned this too, Daryl Henderson. Whether he plays well or not, they're going to insert a running back who performs. It's just the system. They have the, the talent to do it, the scheme to do it. The receiver's going to keep the defenses honest. I want to see how Deshaun Jackson performs, if he can make anything out of his career as a rotational deep threat. Um, Jacob Harris, their fourth-round pick, and he'd be a mismatch weapon uh, that Gerald Everett never was really able to prove throughout his career with the Rams. I, I like the unit a lot, and I'm with you guys. I'm taking the over on all the passing game props that I can take because I think they're going to have to throw more. You guys said it, too, on this part. The defense took a step back as far as their losses because of salary cap issues and losing. Um, obviously, Brandon Staley is going to hurt as well, as good as Raheem Morris did last year. He has to change up his style because this defense doesn't fit what he ran in Atlanta last year. Right. So I think all the changes, it's going to be okay. Like, they're going to be fine. But these are the questions that me that say, is this team going to be a Super Bowl contender and favorite as they're, as they're favored to be? Or is this team just going to win the division and then have to fight and claw throughout the playoffs because – they're so star-studded and dependent throughout their roster. Yeah, this is an interesting call because they they were on the other side of the Niners coin where the Niners had everyone get hurt. Uh, the Rams had the second-healthiest team in the league last year, and you kind of poked holes in the depth, especially up front on the offensive line. Like That could be a massive issue if they, they start to have some of those guys go down. And, uh, yeah, I think there's some depth on the offensive 
side with some of the weapons you mentioned. You know, we know Djax can't stay healthy when he plays. He's still really good. Um, I have a 13-year-old son that weighs as much as Tutu Atwell, I think. Um, it's just, you know, Higby's had some ish- injury issues over the years. So it could be interesting. And I know that they are definitely a buzzy team, as we talked about, like those Super Bowl odds keep dropping and dropping and dropping. But be interesting to see what happens if they have a little bit of uh, bad luck on the injury side. So these teams are all good, but as we pointed out, they're not without their questions and their flaws. Uh, next team definitely is the same, uh, Seahawks. Uh, 10 wins is the number for them. They are minus 115 on both sides uh, to make the playoffs and to miss the playoffs. They are 11 to one to win the NFC and 28 to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I kind of led with it in, uh, you know, played my hands. I think it's really interesting that they are basically projected for the same amount of wins, but have uh, twice the equity to go to the Super Bowl and to win the Super Bowl compared to the Niners and the Rams. I mean, last year was basically a tale of two seasons. We had early, we finally saw what happens when Ross is given the keys to the car of a pass centric offense that we've all been begging for. They were in shootout after shootout through the first eight weeks. They basically, their team total over was like an automatic lock for two months. It was wild. Uh, it was just passing aggressively on first and second down. You know, Russ was an MVP candidate. We started to hear like, oh, Russ has never had an MVP vote ever and still didn't because the, just the wheels came off in the second half. Um, they basically started attributing the losses to throwing too much despite having a terrible defense and an awful secondary. Started to run the ball a little bit more. Schottenheimer's gone. Uh, Shane Waldron's in. We're starting to see at least some whispers that are really encouraging about Again, they want to run the ball more, but I think what they're going to do offensively when they do pass is going to be a little bit more dynamic. Uh, Ian, talk to me about the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, great summary of their season last year. And entering this year, I'm looking at the offense to say, okay, so what's changed? Like, is it going to all be on Russ again? And if it is all on Russ again, is he going to be able to sustain this for 17 games now? Because he's earned this reputation of he wears down as the season goes. The more they rely on him, the more he wears down. I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, obviously, statistically, there's some proof to that. But I think that you mentioned it really perfectly. Why was he having to throw so much? (laughs) Because that defense fell apart. And they didn't have a secondary that can make plays. They didn't have, uh, not even get rid of the Legion of Boom thought, but even just an average defense that could create some turnovers, get some advantageous uh, 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 play, and and get it on the favorable side of the field. Um, actually get them into situations where they can score without going 80 yards. They simply didn't have that. So I like what they've done with the offense, at least as far as building that offensive line a little bit. Damian Lewis was a big hit from the 2020 draft. They can run the ball more effectively. Chris Carson is back into the mix. Let's hope that he stays healthy. Um, I I don't know that I love the running back depth there because they're going to continue to be an offense. I think that wants to run the ball quite a bit, um, which is fine to to release some of that pressure on, on Russ. They can hopefully do that now. Gabe Jackson was a great acquisition from the Raiders. Uh, I was surprised to see the Raiders give him up. He's a great pass blocker, still a force in the running game. They can start wearing down defenses. We're starting to see that offensive line go from a little bit less, uh, a little bit less based on athleticism and a little bit more based on physicality. I think that that's going to fit Russell Wilson as he ages. I think that's a good thing. You want to wear down defenses a little bit better and be able to win one-on-one blocking than what they've been able to in the past. All of a sudden, that offensive line goes from eh to 
okay, it's, it passes. It passes the test, and it should help Russ uh, just to play within the scheme and within the system and not have to carry the, the team so much. Um, a little bit worried on the receiving depth chart. I love DK Metcalf. I want to take the over um, on his props as well. I think he's just going to continue to ascend into a monstrous target. Uh, Tyler Lockett, these, are, these guys are both 1,000-plus yard receivers last year. There's nothing to me that says that they won't be this year. There's no one behind him. Dwayne Eskridge is on the on the pup list. Um, he's a tiny guy. I think he's going to be more of that uh, jet sweep type of target, forced production. Uh, we're going to go out there and make sure that he gets as many touches as we can scheme. It's a dangerous role in the NFL. Those guys really don't do a great job, uh, with the very rare exception of a few guys over the course of the last 10, 15 years as that position has become more popular. I don't know that Eskridge is going to be that guy. Can he be the Percy Harvin for this offense? They've already tried that. I don't know that he's going to be a massive target getter. So I think Lockett and Metcalf are going to continue to be the primary focuses of the offense. And I think they're going to have to score a lot. They're going to have to throw a lot. As much as I want them to keep a balance, um, they didn't really add much to their defense. They added a fourth-round pick. That was really it. <laughs> like, you know, it's not like they overhauled this defense because of their cap limitations. Um, Akella Witherspoon is going to be challenging for a starting cornerback job. Um, that's not a great sign. They got to lock up Jamal Adams long term. Uh, I, I like some of the defensive talent. Obviously, I love Bob, Bobby Wagner, um, but the front seven isn't great. They don't have a great pass rusher. The back seven, or I'm sorry, the back five. They have some good talent, like I said, with Adams. Trey Flowers is okay. Quandre Diggs is okay. Uh, but there's no one really there that can say, this is a superstar on this unit. And I think when we talk about the Super Bowl odds, why they don't have that similar value as the other two teams. I think it's just because they're lacking star power outside of that offense. The offense has their three stars, and that's about it besides Wagner. So I'm, I'm concerned about this team's overall upside, and I think that they're going to continue to get into these shootouts, and they're just not comfortable to play in those type of games. Yeah, that was a good point. I mean, the defense leaves a lot to be desired, I think is putting it nicely. I mean, they re-upped Carlos Dunlap, who they acquired uh, in trade midseason, but again, not not necessarily a guy that is a massive uh you know, needle mover per se. And there's a lot of questions in the back back half of this defense. Jamal Adams is really just a fancy linebacker, to be honest. I mean, they play him there a lot, which works to his strength. He blitzed more than any defensive back in football last year. He's good against the run, but he is a liability in coverage. And I think they understand that. They try to mask that. But unfortunately, they don't have anyone really strong to step up back there too. So the one thing about Waldron I think is interesting, Connor, is, you know, obviously not calling plays, with McVeigh and the Rams, but even in OTAs, there was, um, they seem to be playing at a quicker pace and talking about pace, which has not been a thing in, in Schottenheimer's offense in the past. And it looks like there's going to be a little bit more play action too. So a couple of different wrinkles that we didn't see a lot from Russ in the last few years. So talk to me about the Seahawks, what your thoughts are here, and then let us know what props jump out to you. I know if last year's, if this year's anything like last year, we're going to constantly be over on DK Metcalf. Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's probably, I think there's a few different ways to attack this and not, so going back to last season, I thought that the firing Schottenheimer meant that they were going to go run heavy this year um, because it seemed like they weren't really happy or, you know, Pete Carroll wasn't very happy with how things were going and that the Seahawks were figured out. I mean, DK Metcalf went on record saying that they were just running deep every play. Um, and while, you know, we think that going pass heavy, or at least a little bit pass heavy is optimal uh, in terms of, you know, pass run rate, like this team do, did need a little more balance. Their, their receivers can't be running deep like every single play. I mean, we saw in a few games there down – down the stretch where, um, you know, like 
DK and uh, Lockett were just getting locked up every single play because, you know, they were basically like doubling them because they were just running deep the entire time or just, you know, putting a safety over the top, pretty much like bracketing them essentially. And then just leaving everyone else like to do their own thing because they knew that that was not the play. Um, and that started happening. I think that's kind of where the things tilted uh, in terms of Schottenheimer being out. But like you said, Shane Waldron, new OC, talking about going up-tempo, maybe pass the ball, like some shorter situations, run the ball a little bit more, have some balance with the, the offensive line. I think it's all good things there. Um, for me, though, with these props, so we have a prop of Russell Wilson over under 4,250 yards. So Russell Wilson in his entire career has never passed for more than 4,250 yards in, a, entire, in one season, which is crazy to me that that's never happened, but – it just hasn't, and a lot of it has because, been because of their run-heavy approach and because they you know, have generally had a dominant defense, and then even like last season, they went to that run-heavy approach, even if it wasn't necessarily warranted you know, down the stretch. Um, DK Metcalf's over-under, I would say, more than compensates for how good we think DK Metcalf is, 1,300.5 receiving yards. I love DK Metcalf. I just think that this is probably not the over that I want to take. Um, and then uh, Chris Carson over-under 1,000 uh, rushing yards. I'm bullish on Carson. I think that he can go over that. Our projections don't agree. They have him for 866 rushing yards. I just don't really see uh, Penny playing much of a factor. I don't see any of the other guys playing much of a factor. I think Carson's going to get fed. I also think Carson is, you know, hashtag good, and that the offensive line is a little bit better. So um, I, I'm a little bit more bullish than our projections are. But, again, taking running back overs, uh, especially like fringe running backs like Carson, where what if Penny is healthy? You know, your, your over is pretty much shot. What if he gets injured? You know, your over is kind of shot. So it's like those things that were, I'm not rushing to bet like a binary prop, but I do think that in fantasy, like all of these options are extremely interesting because they have the upside to just like smash, like crush. Um, and that like that upside isn't really captured in a player prop market where, you know, if you win, you just double your money in fantasy, you know, like a FFPC main event or, you know, a 350 league, you know, you can, you know, win 200 K 500 K, you know, like that's the kind of upside that I think that this offense has like with stacking this team in fantasy versus uh, just betting on the binary props. But in terms of the team in total, I think too many questions for me all around to like make a bet. I don't know what we're going to see. I think they're exciting, but just not really, I'm not really betting the binary markets here. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, you laid it out well. I'm with you too. I, I think Carson is good. I think our number's a little low, but it's still, it's just so many outs. Again, there's just no reason to take a running back uh, over prop. Uh, and it tends to be Metcalf was just week by week, not necessarily a season long number, but like every week last year when we were waiting for props to drop, we just always would have DK Metcalf like 30 yards higher than his number would come out in the books. Yeah. And it was like, well, he oh. was at like the 60s for a while, like or 60s and like low 70s for a while yeah. when they were just like getting in shootouts every game. Their defense was terrible. They're passing like every play. So it was just like smash the over until it gets to like 85. And the books would get there eventually, but like openers were really soft on DK, at least in the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. The Medcap props in the team total were mm-hmm. definitely uh, the buoy to, to sustain the first couple of months of the season because they were, they were pretty nice. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it is interesting though that it, I get it. I think we've again poked holes through all three of these teams who are all projected uh, to, you know, with 10 wins is there over under. Um, it just is weird to me that the other teams don't, aren't without flaws either and to have them be double the equity i think is uh is a little interesting again if they also are a team that historically has made in-season trades uh they'll make trades around this time of year as well like you know someone like stefan gilmore is out there like they are a really strong corner and i know that that's not like a a low-hanging fruit market out there where there's just 
difference making cornerbacks available to be a trade all the time in, in August. But, you know, something like that happens or someone takes a step forward somehow, like they're that secondary shows up. This is a, a competitive football team. So it's interesting. I can't believe Russ has never topped 4,200 yards. He's just the king of like 226 and four scores, you know, like <laughs> yep. just uber efficient. So, all right, we'll wrap it up with the Cardinals here. Eight and a half is the number for their wins. They are um, minus 230 to not make the playoffs, uh, plus 270 to make the playoffs. They are, 20 to 1 to win the NFC, 50 to 1 to win the Super Bowl. This kind of feels a little bit like a make or break year for Kingsbury and the Cardinals. Uh, they seem to be poised for a playoff run last year, got off to a 6 and 3 start, really stumbled down the stretch. I think overall, we've been pretty disappointed in the air raid offense we thought we were going to see when they were coming in and all the talk that they had. Um, and it's really weird with, with Cliff, too, because they're like, they're sometimes uber aggressive. Like, Fourth and medium, uh, they go for more than anyone. Uh, and then they'll kick like a field goal from like, you know, <laughs> fourth and one from the three. Like they just this some really strange stuff that you really don't have a sense of like that they have a philosophy on what to do in those plays. Like it's a it's a feel thing for him, which is really strange. You know, Kyler has been, it's a lot of, I think it was Rich Rebar. There are a lot of horizontal raid. It's not a lot of downfield raid. It's a lot of low A dot, close to the line stuff. It was really last year Hopkins was great, but no one else really did anything there. Um, the corpse of Larry Fitz is still hanging around. We don't know what he's going to do. We're hoping that they get something out of uh, Christian Kirk this year. They had another possible corpse with AJ Green, who again was just dusty last year. Just couldn't get any separation. Uh, while you know T Higgins is blowing up and like you throw Auden Tate in there and he's getting separation and making plays and just AJ Green had nothing left in the tank. Uh, Rondell Moore obviously was a nice addition too. So hopefully they started to do some things. They've added to the offensive line, made a couple of splashy additions on the defensive side as well. So uh, Connor, talk to me about the Cardinals. Yeah, I don't know if too much to add there. Um... Uh, they have, you know, the ninth toughest strength of schedule. Uh, I mean, the J.J. Watt addition is kind of good news for their pass rush. Uh, but their secondary projects to be really rough with kind of their losses there. I think that that's kind of a big issue for the Cardinals. But I think that could be a good thing for their offense in general in terms of, like, total output, not like a, a good thing, you know, efficiency-wise or winning-wise. Um, so, yeah, I don't have too much to add necessarily on the Cardinals. Ian, where are you at on the Cardinals? Yeah, I mean, I think you guys kind of nailed it. It's The offense is so weird to me. I don't understand if they're trying to build like an offensive specialist or if this was just what they had to work with because you know Kenyon Drake last year led the league in uh, rushes inside the five yard line it makes sense to replace him with James Conner like that's a logical decision uh, but then I go to receiver you mentioned AJ Green's corpse I mean he was so bad last year I don't know why they're they're spending money on him I look on the defensive side I'm kind of saying the same thing uh, for Robert Alford, Malcolm Butler, like these guys were washed the last couple of years and getting worse and worse. They look old. They look slow. And I, I'm just wondering, are they purposely doing that? Rondell Moore, I love the talent, but is this going to be another situation where they're just forcing him into a specialist role? Uh, Cliff Kingsbury was talking about, we're going to product, we're going to produce touches for him. We're going to make sure he has the ball in his hands. I, that concerns me. Like, I just want to play this guy as a wide receiver. I don't necessarily want to sit there and create, you know, gadget plays for the guy because that stuff always gets sniffed out. It's very rarely productive on a weekly basis. Moore's a baller. Uh, I want him to just go out there and play uh, the receiver position. Andy Isabella has been disappointing. 
Uh, we need to see more out of Christian Kirk. So I, I just worry with this team. I, I think that they've pigeon them, pigeonholed themselves into a specific style of play, and it's not the style of play that I think fits Kyler Murray. I think they need to be aggressive downfield. Um, they have the speed to do it, but guys also have to step up. They have to develop. I think it's been a little bit of a an indictment on this uh, coaching staff that they haven't been able to do that with some of these young guys who really popped in college and at certain times in their career. Um, the defense, unless if they get like a Xavier Howard or, or like you mentioned, uh, Stephon Gilmore uh, for the for Seattle, I think they need to get a guy like that in the defense. J.J. Watt, you know, can he stay healthy? <laughs> the big thing, Chandler Jones, is he going to be around? If he is around, is he going to be healthy? Um, so a lot of ifs with this team. I, I just don't really see a huge upside for wins and losses. Uh, offensively, obviously, I love the prop because uh, Murray's just that super talented and DeAndre Hopkins is going to get them to a baseline. Uh, but I don't know that there's – I don't know that the talent is going to be maximized from Kingsbury in the sense that we thought he would be. Yeah, it's been it's been a bizarre, bizarre thing. We love Rondell Moore. His prop is popping in a big way, Connor. Um, and we're pretty under on AJ Green, which I think checks out. Yeah. No, I actually I actually really like uh, Rondell Moore, kind of like Ian was saying. Um, so, I mean, his freshman year, he was a potential like first-round pick after that. Racked up like nearly 1,500 rushing and receiving yards combined as a freshman. You know, then suffered an injury, and then it was the 2020 COVID season. So he just never really got, got like back on track. Um, but, you know, I, thought, I think he's uber talented. And like there were plenty of people doing early mock drafts or whatever, you know, like after the season of whenever he would be, you know, eligible, that he would be like a first-round pick. Um, and so, I, I mean, I think he's talented. I think that this is a great offense for him to get going. The issue is that, like, how much is A.J. Green going to, you know, cock block him uh, and how much is, like, at that time? I know they play a ton of wide receivers on the, on the field, so that might not matter, but uh, I am a little bit worried about that. Uh, but overall, I do like the over. I think 545 and a half yards is probably a little too low. 700 seems a little rich, but I think that I lean towards the over there. And then A.J. Green, I mean, this might be one of our last times to bet against A.J. Green, unless he, like, you know, started drinking Russell Wilson's, you know, special water or something in the off season. He's, uh, he's been in a bad spot after what we saw last year. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. And Chandler Jones is looking to get traded to that obviously makes things a little bit more complicated. I'm sure they're thinking we got these bookends and defensive ends that definitely can hide a lot of the, you know, the woes in the back half too. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see as well. I was really, I saw something, I think it was football outsiders as well. They talked about how, so it wasn't just the – I think a lot of times the drop that happened, they were right. They started 6-3. and three. Kyler was playing really well. He was running a lot. And then he had that shoulder injury against the uh, the Seahawks that game. And then he was a little different for a couple of games. And it also coincided with that Patriots game where they just got dominated. It was really, really weird. Like they had a good momentum going in. And the Patriots played them very differently than anyone else had played them. They went really nickel-heavy basically one linebacker and a bunch of DBs and played really close to the line of scrimmage. Um, just knowing that that's just kind of how they play. And it was replicated after new England and everyone did it a little bit more aggressively. And I think a lot of what happened is attributed to Kyler's shoulder injury and how we started playing different. But I think there's something to be said for what happened against them defensively. And if that's something that's sticky, if there's something that, they haven't adjusted to. And again, it's hard to have a ton of conviction that this is a coaching staff that's identifying these things and making the changes. If kind of they found a way to beat them and slow them down, then that's a problem for them. Uh, at least maybe, again, there's so much volume here. They play at such a frenetic pace that sometimes, especially in like the fantasy game, like that gets hidden a little bit because they can make up with such 
enormous play volume, but it takes a little bit of the upside away from the team. We know we need them to step forward. And if they can't step forward and they're just kind of treading water, like that puts them pretty comfortably as the fourth team in this division. So be interested to see what happens with the Chandler Jones stuff. And if there's anything to that scheme uh, to see what happens early in the season, if teams start playing in that way, um, they do have an easy or a difficult schedule to start. They uh, are on the road, three of the four, three of their first four, um, some tough matchups in there as well. So kind of would like to see them get off to a good start and feel pretty good about it. But yeah, that, uh, that wraps us up. I forgot about, you mentioned it, Ian. I was trying to fight for a cornerback that can land with the Seahawks. And the Xavier Howard thing is perfect. Let's get him over there. I'll take the Seahawks here to, you know, a little bit of long shot, 11 to one to, to win the NFC. I can kill Connor at the same time, blow up all of his dolphin props and then cash in on these uh, Seahawks. But uh, Ian, what's one of your favorite bets that we talked about tonight in the, uh, in the NFC West? Yeah. I mean, I, I love t- t- talking about the Rams, you know, it, as we discussed all these rosters, you know, I kind of entered tonight, I looked at everything and I was like, you know, I would lean toward the Rams, but uh, you know, we talked about it and it, you guys kind of won me over a little bit. I think to win uh, the division at one eight plus one eighty is great. Um, I'm looking at the Cardinals to not make the playoffs. I think it's a great value there too. Um, player prop wise, I was leaning over on DK, but I mean, Connor kind of talked me out of that one too. Yeah. I think it's an aggressive line thinking about that one as well. So uh, just some really great points, and I think this is a really great division to to get a lot of value on because of the uncertainty, but we can make some bold moves knowing what we know and kind of playing off the last couple of years of tendencies uh, to make those strong moves. Yeah, it'll be a fun one. A lot of attrition in the division. Connor, what are your favorite uh, bets that we talked about? Well, I mean, for the record, I love DK, and technically our projections have him over, but it's just like it's so high that I, you know, I just feel like we can take advantage in season. Like I just don't think they're even going to set like the right lines in season for that uh, comparatively. But probably for me, um, uh, I do like. I think the Rams do win the division. I've taken a little bit of action on them in the futures market, but I, I think that they're like Super Bowl odds and stuff are kind of already properly set. Like you know, we aren't the only ones excited for Stafford and this offense, so. Um, I think that a lot of their other stuff like NFC and Super Bowl are kind of already properly set. Um, but uh, in terms of a, like a one bet that I really like, Debo Samuel under that I explained before, I think that that's a good one um, just in general. Um, but this this Cardinals team, like you said, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury, you know, for all the talk that he's been, like he was not a winning coach uh, at very at like Texas Tech. And now he's been, you know, five and 10 and eight and eight. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that, you know, his offensive system is interesting and that he has a lot of interesting talent, but I think the whole thing of him be actually being a good coach is definitely to be determined. Yeah, it's now or never, I feel like. It has to it has to get done for them this year, and it's tough because the rest of the teams are just better than them. Yeah, they can be good, but the rest of the division is, is better than them, so they'd have to sneak some wins in there at some point. So uh, I like the Stafford stuff that I already got down on. That's up on the site. Uh, it's probably uh, three, four weeks old. At this point, and it's continue to get bet up. Like, I feel like we're still like the over there, but you definitely lost this, the best of the number in a significant way, similar to their division lines and their Super Bowl lines. Um, I like the Seahawks uh, just at the price to uh, to win this division, getting them at plus two sixty. I think that there's just that's just good value. Uh, I kind of think that both the Niners and the Rams are better than them, but I think that there's some value just in the market of how they're priced in relation to some of the, the other stuff in the market too. And uh, 
Yeah, Tyler Higby is one that I like. We didn't talk about uh, Higby props. I think that um, we have him over. His number is 650.5 in the marketplace. We have his projection closer to 720. Again, I know that that's a little close, but I think Higby is going to be a really strong part of that offense. I know, you know, Ian mentioned Jacob Harris, who I think has a role, but they have been a team that has run a lot of 12 over the last few years. I don't know where, you know, he falls into that, but I think, again, there are a lot of other question marks with some of the other pass catchers there. We mentioned Djax, Atwell. Uh, those guys aren't always, you know, just pillars of health necessarily. You know, Van Jefferson, like there are guys there. It's kind of why we're bullish on Stafford and the Rams to begin with, but I think Higby is is a difference maker if he can stay on the fields. It's a pretty strong blocker too, so he's a guy that does stay on pretty often, and that helps him too. So in on Higby as well. So awesome. Ian, you're the man. We're really excited to have you on staff. Uh, tell everyone what they're going to be able to get from you this year and where they can find you uh, on Twitter. Yeah, thanks, guys. Um, at NFL Film Study on Twitter. I'll uh, be doing lines, uh, be doing spreads throughout the year. Uh, just super excited. Uh, obviously, we probably joining you guys every every so often. Uh, just really excited to be a part of the team and think you guys do awesome work. So excited to be part of it. Appreciate it, buddy. So, Connor, anything else for the listeners? Um, not too much. Check out our player prop tool. A lot of it came from here. A lot of our favorite bets. Um, we got a new dope player prop tool that you know scrapes all the the odds from sports books, and more of those are dropping. You know, every day with new bets. We got a a new one that I just posted on the website. Mike Davis prop uh, over. I think it was like over like seven hundred something yards. So, uh, definitely really light on that because uh, I mean they got. Quadre Olson and JVN Hawkins competing with him. So uh, I like that over for sure. Nice. And again, that tool is a part of our uh, betting subscription over at 444. Don't forget to go to the top of the show. You can find out ways that you can get that for really, really cheap. So uh, we'll be back to do it all again next week. So for Ian and Connor, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening.